0: This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at PivotBio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Rex Broad is our guest, and we talk about interest rates, marketing, estate concerns, and short and long-term planning. What should be on our minds to do and not do? Learn from Rex's four decades in the ag lending market, see what has worked well and what have turned out to be some terrible mistakes for farmers. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. Where are prices headed? Can you maintain margins with the high volatility in grain and input markets? There is certainly uncertainty. But in these times, Pivot Bio Proven 40 is working to provide you a certain source of nitrogen, up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen, in fact. It stays put, whether or not, as Pivot Bio Proven molecules attach to the roots of the corn plant. And in a time in which margins can be tight and more sustainable farming methods are more than a buzzword, it's time to look at Pivot Bio. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. To learn more, just go to pivotbio.com dot Rex Broad has been working with farmers as an ag lender for about four decades now. He works with U.S. Bank, serving farmers in a four-state area in Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, and Iowa. Our conversation really has two parts. First, we talked about current market dynamics. How are factors like rising interest rates, higher input prices, and volatile markets impacting farm economics in the short term? Then we changed focus to the long term, discussing some great and not-so-great things Rex has seen farmers do, including one case where a farmer happened to leave a legacy that is still impacting many communities yet today. I think you'll be interested in what he has to share. Rex, certainly as we think back to this time last year, interest rates for a lot of operating loans, land loans, are what were probably at least two percentage points higher. Just interested, as somebody that's been in ag lending for a while, are you seeing a yet an effect in the market when you're talking with customers out there just because interest rates have gone up?
1: I am. I am, Andrew. You're seeing, um, I've got clients that were had large capital projects scheduled to happen this spring and probably due to a couple reasons they've declined or decided to wait or put them on hold one the supply chain backlog and getting materials or 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 equipment that they're wanting to purchase another reason is in, with interest rates increasing almost 2% in the last 90 to 120 days we're seeing a lot of people just say hey i really don't want to handle that payment right now. Um, I'm sitting in a good financial position as far as operating cattle, capital and liquidity. So I think I'm just going to wait and hold on and ride this storm out with crop input prices and, and fuel costs escalated and availability, um, sometimes questionable, that a lot of people are just holding on and, and retaining some of the operating capital for now.
0: So, do you think that's had any impact on land prices yet? Because land prices were seemingly just climbing and, and never going to end. Has interest rate impacted that at all yet uh, where you're
1: working? You know, that's a that's a good question. It will. It will impact it. At this point in time, it sure appears or, or has the appearance that that because farmers are in and investment people are in a position where they've got significant liquidity and cash on hand we're not seeing it in our local area impact real estate farmland values yet especially the productive soils uh but i'm sure it will it always has and it will have a negative impact as the operating capital dwindles and there's less government aid going out to the farmers for subsidy for whatever reason I know that you're not
0: necessarily in the prediction business, and it would be hard to be, but what do you see on the horizon when farmers are asking you about interest rates? We have climbed from a year ago. Do you think that we the climbing is, is done, or where should farmers think about interest rates going forward? Because you have to think about that when you're in business.
1: I think, I think probably it would be prudent at this point in time that if you're looking at some major capital purchases and you are needing financing, I think it would be wise to, to probably conservatively enhance that interest rate, even in today's current market, another 2%. Um, I grew up in a time when 7 and 8% were common interest rates, and people felt like that was something that investors could get a general return on, and people could operate that didn't borrow a lot of money, but borrowed some money, they could still, their business would generate enough profit that they could service that kind of a debt level at those interest rate levels. I think if it was me and I was forecasting in the future, as far as capital purchases and debt service, I would probably bump it another 2%. So
0: as you think about going into the fall, we have seen corn and bean prices come down from the highs this summer. We still have input prices that are I don't know, we'll say high. Maybe they've come off the highs. So how does that discussion now, has the margin uh, gotten small enough and the interest rates come up enough that it's causing some more difficult discussions at this point? Or or is there still enough margin, you think, in a lot of places, enough capital out there that things are rolling along just fine?
1: Well, I wouldn't say it's just fine. I mean, all of our producers have experienced the cost, the added cost of crop inputs. Um, We're looking at a fall this year where... In this part of the country, it appears that, that we're, while we're going to have probably an average crop or maybe a little bit better in some locations, you don't have to go too far from northwest Missouri, and it dries down pretty quick. Or we've got a lot of late plantings this year where a lot of our corn crops and our, especially our soybeans got planted late. Um, so it, you know, if we, it could be impacted by an early frost. Um, recently, we've received a little bit of moisture again to kind of trickle us along at this point in time. But I, I really feel like if we have an average production year, that you're not going to see the profits that people have made the last two years come fall.
0: You mentioned that when you got started in ag lending, the the interest rates seven and eight percent was something common. I don't know that we're headed back there, but do you see any commonalities between when you got started, which would have been back in that late 80s, I think, time frame as opposed to, to now?
1: Actually, when I was growing up, it was in the 7 8%. When I first started loaning money in the early 80s is when the interest rates started to peak. When I loaned money for the first time in 1983, a lot of the farm operating notes that we were doing were back in the teens, the 16 to 18% range, which is just astronomical and very difficult to service, especially if there's any leverage, uh, any debt of any significance owed. Today, I don't
0: think we're headed back to that. (laughs) We hope we're not headed back to that. What, What gives you hope about this situation? Because I think, you know, every once in a while the 80s are brought up, and I think that those of us that lived through that were aware of that. It would seem to me that the situation is still quite a bit different these days, but certainly inflation and interest rates, that gets on people's minds. They wonder where we
1: might be headed. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look back at the early 80s, there was a lot of similarities with right now. Um, the pieces of equipment that you own right now are worth more than probably what you paid for them. The enhanced valuation of all your assets. Uh, you, you know, when I first started in, in farm lending in the early 80s, it was almost like you could do no wrong because land prices continued to escalate, as they've done the last 25 to 30 years. Machinery costs continued to enhance and increase. So if you did have a crop failure, or prices just weren't there, you could basically liquidate some assets and satisfy your debt, until we got to the point where interest rates, really just that compounding effect of higher interest rates that that were put in by the Fed to offset the inflation, and then the crop failure, or marginal crop years, along with drought, impacted and was very adverse effect on the ag economy. So what did you
0: learn as an ag lender that you try to pass along to farmers today that say, hey, it may have been 40 years, but don't forget about these lessons from back then?
1: <laughs> I, th- I think the main thing is, is, and one of the things that as an ag lender, you really – like we learned the hard way back in the early 80s was that we need to manage to cash flow. Cash flow is what services debt, is what continues and sustains an operation. And and leverage can be, while it was a tool considered pretty normal or average or even high back in the early 80s, today leverage is looked at that, you know, a little bit more of a conservative eye. When you approach that one-to-one debt-to-worth level, you know, that's a little area of caution for a lender, and it should be for a producer, too, because that's to sustain and a return that will service any type of debt at exceeding that level it seems to be uh, marginal at best to the ability to continue to operate.
0: As someone that sees a lot of producers, what would be some of the things that you think that the the good producers are doing right now? What should we be emulating or looking at the ones that do it right that we should do in our business?
1: You know, that's that's a good question. You know, When I first started, we had probably uh, a small percentage, maybe 20% of our producers that were were marginal managers as far as either crop production or livestock production, and they could sustain themselves. And Farmers Home Administration was a big part of their involvement or maybe a partial of their financing, if not all of it. Um, Today, we've got some very good production people, agronomists basically, or they hire agronomists. We've got people as far as livestock production, the genetics are built up. You know, we can produce a crop, we can produce livestock and meat at quality, at excellent levels, but but some of the things that we're encouraging our people to do, and I think the, 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 the thing that sets the managers of today and in the future from those from back in the 80s is marketing. You know, I've got so many of my producers have said, you know, I can raise a crop, I can raise these livestock, you know, numbers and my efficiencies are also good. But marketing, that's one of the things. And so we've encouraged people today to utilize market people, you know, bring in grain merchandises or livestock specialists that can help you market your your production, whatever that would be. Again, it's just using those areas of expertise to get you to the next level.
0: I want to change subjects for just a a moment to something that I think is equally important in agriculture, but something you've been involved with for really your entire lifetime in the banking industry, and that is kind of thinking ahead, maybe a little bit retirement and passing the farm along to others. But I know you've had some situations in which you've worked with farmers that certainly they will pass those assets on to a future generation, but what if you're looking to do something else? Maybe you don't have a family or heirs to pass that along to, or you're wanting to do something in your community. That's pretty broad, but I want you to talk about that because you've had some experiences where those conversations have gone well and it's ended up doing a lot of good for the communities that those folks
1: lived in. They, they have, and, and one of the things, as I've worked in lending and worked with banking relationships with farmers through the years and as their asset base grows, and especially if they don't have another generation coming on below them that will continue the farming operation – We talk a lot about what happens to this asset base at the time of my death. For a lot of my farmers, um, their children are grown, they're successful, they're on their own, there's really no need for income for them, or not a lot. Um, They're not maybe interested in the farming operation, but, but as an option, I guess, for people they can look at establishing maybe a charitable trust or something like that to give back to their rural communities or their locations, or if there's a philanthropy or a church organization, religious affiliation that they feel strongly about, there's ways that they can utilize those assets to generate an income stream perpetual, basically. And so I think it's important for people, especially today, given the valuations of our farms and farm assets, that they can look at a way to sustain that and, and, and provide an income revenue stream for those charities or the community or that religious affiliation that they're, they're, they're concerned about.
0: As you visit with farmers, I mean, you don't have to have that much land to have quite a bit in asset value right now. So how would you encourage them to think about okay, I have an asset that I need to manage and I want to do a good job of somehow passing this along to somebody else. Where do I, where do I start with that?
1: Those are, those are good questions. Um, the things that they need to be thinking about. And, and, and again, you know, you rely upon your experts to make good decisions. And most most farmers today are, are the kind of people that need to sleep on making big decisions about their asset base, about their estate, about what they want to do with those assets. I would encourage them to visit with their accountant. Our tax laws consistently change. You know, people are concerned about inheritance, taxes and what that means, depending upon the size of their operation, but talk to their, their lender, their banker, um, to get the financial advice. You know, so many of our financial institutions, including ours at U.S. Bank, we have wealth management, we have farm management, um, we also have estate planning attorneys on, on site, and it doesn't cost anything just to sit down and visit with those folks, just to see once if they can help them with their goals or objectives. Do you think that
0: most of the people that you work with have thought through all of that process enough? I think in farming circles, we're always told, okay, you need to think about estate planning. You need to think about inheritance and tax and so forth. I think we do, but are we doing well with that now? How, or maybe we've improved over time. I'm interested
1: in what you see. I, I think I think people are thinking about that, especially as they see the asset base. And we've seen regulations in government change drastically as far as the inheritance taxes, income taxes, and things like that. So I think people are looking at that and trying to make good business decisions for what their wishes and the best way to complement their wishes to sustain that operation or that asset base. Um, Because the last thing most, most people that have worked their whole life to establish a farming operation that's successful is to have it sold or to see it liquidated in order to pay taxes.
0: One of the things that I think gives you a lot of joy is being able to see assets do good, not only in a farm family, but also in, in a community. I know you've been a part of some of those discussions. You have one in Northwest Missouri. Uh, I know a, a farmer that you helped be able to do that. And I think it'd be valuable just to walk through that discussion of maybe how things evolved, because I think that you've had a farmer two over time that just wanted to do something, but really didn't know <laughs> what to do, so
1: to speak. You know, it's you spend your entire life working and sustaining a farming operation, improving it, um, making improvements to it. So it's, it's, a, it's not a quick and easy decision for most farmers that I know. But one in particular that I'm familiar with, um, this gentleman was a single individual. He had been divorced twice. Um, he had one son, and then he had one granddaughter. And uh, in talking to him about some ways to sustain that wealth to pass on to the granddaughter's generation, um, we visited with him and got him with his attorney and our wealth division and and basically talked about some options for him. And one of the things that was concerning for him was, you know, he'd worked his whole life and he'd, he'd lived basically a very modest lifestyle and felt like he wanted to provide for his granddaughter. And so he established a trust for his granddaughter. Um, that to be established for at a set dollar amount uh, close to 5 million dollars and then the remainder of his asset base he he we talked about this and he wasn't aware of it at the time but he established a charitable trust And the intent of the charitable trust was to give back the earnings from the investments back to the community that non-for-profit organizations located in rural communities could apply once a year for the income that was received from the charitable trust. This income could be utilized in, in everything from school playgrounds to senior center assets to go into, replacement, um, help with college education for scholarships, uh, capital improvements for universities in rural areas or agricultural-based learning. Um, so it provided a residual and perpetual income for these rural communities to enhance the lifestyle and the living standards in the rural areas. I think one important thing you
0: mentioned there was is that he was able to provide for his family uh, because he did have some heirs, but yet did all of this in addition. Do you think that some of us miss out on that? Because rightfully so, we're concerned about our future generation, but do we miss out on a bigger opportunity to perhaps give to others? I'm interested in the situations you see.
1: And, and and i think that's true and each person has to decide that for themselves i mean obviously it's their asset base and they have to make those important decisions in this gentleman's um decision process he felt it very important even though he probably wasn't um a large giver or a philanthropist during his lifetime while he was growing his farming operation and improving it he felt like after he was gone it was a way to give back and and i guess the thing that that makes me so happy is that that we were a part of helping him set up something that's brought so much joy to our rural communities now and to see that 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 he really can give back to the rural communities and enhance their lifestyle for future generations do you see
0: have laws changed to make it better for perhaps somebody wanting to do that to go ahead and sell land and then have an asset and we give from that or are people holding on to the land and then they're renting that out is there one to to do over the other or are people doing it both ways these
1: days you know, back when back when this particular trust was established, the recommendation through the financial advisors was to diversify, and that's still a very common recommendation from investment managers. Because obviously, the more diversified you are, the less risk you have in sustaining that asset base. Um, one of the things we're seeing today more so, and when I talk to people about establishing um, an estate, is that they want to retain that real estate ownership, especially farmland. If it's if it's valuable to them, they can establish that in their trust document that says that the manager, the farm manager, the the wealth division that's managing and taking care of the assets, they can retain that farmland in perpetuity.
0: What happens when people don't have those discussions? Uh, I'm sure you see some where you probably say, boy, I wish something would have been done differently or we would have had some conversations that this would have turned out differently.
1: You know, Andrew, I was at a farm sale here. It's probably been five, seven years ago, and um, it was a liquidation of machinery and equipment, and it was a beautiful farming operation along the river bottom in northwest Missouri, and um, the grandchildren were farming the farm. The grandfather owned the land and the farming operation, and it had established a trust. However, he hadn't had it updated, and the estate laws were such that when that that grandfather passed away, his trust probably hadn't been looked at in 12 to 15 years. Well, at the time of his death, the inheritance laws were such that over a certain dollar amount that the inheritance tax was 60%. Now, the family that was farming that operation at the time thought that everything was taken care of. The grandfather had established the trust. They just had failed to have it reviewed and looked at every two to three years, which is what our experts recommend, especially as tax laws change. But at the time of the auction of the machinery equipment, I was speaking to some of the cousins, some of the family members, and they were telling me the farm was worth between 14 and $15 million at the time of the grandfather's death, and that the inheritance taxes alone were gonna be between four and five million at that time. So the family had to sell the farm and sell then and liquidate all the machinery and equipment to satisfy the taxes and to settle the estate. And uh, it was a heart-wrenching day because to see those grandsons who were farming that farming operation Um, crying at the auction as they they represented the machinery that was to be sold because they were losing their dream, that their grandfather had envisioned for them. And again, it it becomes so imperative that you do get an estate plan in place and that you have it reviewed periodically just to stay on top of the laws.
0: So depending on where I'm at in that process maybe I haven't started at all maybe I have quite a bit any suggestions that you give uh for folks wherever they may be in that process because certainly you want to avoid situations like
1: what you just mentioned there absolutely i think i think the first and foremost is what am i going to do with my assets You know, I think each individual farmer that's out there and is operating a large operation today needs to be thinking about what happens if I drop off the face of the earth tomorrow. Um, What's going to happen to my spouse, my children? Um, What is the impact going to be not only to them that I'm going to be out of the picture completely, but also how am I going to deal with this operation and and where it goes for my heirs? And who's going to be managing that? Um, Oftentimes today, you know, the children that grew up on the farm are no longer have an interest, they're successful in business in the city, or they just don't have an interest or, or the management ability to continue the operation. You know, there's so many options out there. We have farm managers in place that can help with their expertise in continuing the operation. You know, you can establish you know, your, your tax as such or a trust established so that your beneficiaries, however you want to distribute that, you can. You can split that. You can set up a charitable trust. You can provide for your children and grandchildren and your, your spouse, your survivor spouse for uh, perpetuity or for as long as she'll live until the assets can be transferred. So I would just encourage, I think the first decision is what am I going to do with it? You know, who do I want to leave it to? Do I want to leave it all to my family? You know, it's a common, you hear this amongst, amongst farmers, especially that have worked hard and lived modest lives. How much is enough? And so from that aspect, you know, you can still provide a very nice, uh, um, inheritance to your children while providing maybe for your community in a charitable trust. It's just something to think about.
0: From the time you began, uh, back in the 80s, did you find that maybe farms didn't have as much assets, but they had more heirs willing to live on the farm, as opposed to today, assets worth more, but not as many heirs on the farm? How has that changed the discussions?
1: Well, as you well know, farming has changed drastically over the last 40 years since I've been involved in banking. And, and it used to be that livestock production was a major part as an addition to the to the row crop. Today we have limited livestock production operations. Um, most of them are row crop. Uh, You know the the operation itself has changed drastically, as well as the asset value that's associated with it, and the expertise has gotten. You know, used to be able to work hard and and be a fairly good manager and get by. Today, you really need to have some expertise in agronomy and animal husbandry and 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 mechanical abilities, and especially with electronics and the GPS systems, precision planning that's in place today, you know, you really have to be aggressive and and innovative and stay on top of it to be a good manager. How has it made your role as an ag lender change over 40 years? What, has, what have you had to adapt to? You know, I've had to change with it. And and I learned from my customers, to be quite honest with you. Um, the technology that they utilize, the programs that they attend, um, you know, and I, I try to encourage my people to visit with agronomists or visit with, with people as far as marketing their grain and, and livestock. I, I think it's important to utilize experts. Today, you know, we're a world where in this environment, like a lot of occupations and professions, people are specialized. And I would encourage any farmer that's out there today to utilize those experts to pick their brain, get the latest technology, get the latest information from the universities and, and the production centers to enhance your operation, because it's only going to behoove you in the long run. Things change, but I have a feeling you're still enjoying it a lot. I love it. I love it. I grew up on a farm myself and and still love the, the farmland. There's no place better to go work a day and just get your mind at ease and put relax you. Granted, there's problems, but it, but the fresh air does wonders for everyone. Rex, I always appreciate the time. Thank you, Andrew. That's it for this
0: week's Farming the Countryside. Thanks to Rex for being my guest this week and sharing his insights on the short and long-term challenges we face in managing our farms. I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. I'm Andrew McCrae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.